Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program today. Please stay with us for this hour because you'll benefit of a very interesting Bible study today. We are going to look at a very interesting and controversial sometime topic, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. If you like to be part of this uh, uh, discussion, you know that you can send a text message, maybe with a comment, a thought, to 04-888-808-31. Please make sure that you have this number down because we are going to come with a wonderful book to give you a gift today and we'll ask you to send us a code. We'll come to that uh, a little bit later. But I would like to welcome our panel today, and it's good to have uh, with us today, Jerry. Good morning. Yeah, great to be here. And uh, welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you, Nick. It's a, a pleasure to be here today. Len, it's good to have you part of this discussion. Well, thank you. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the program today. Lija, thank you for joining us. Mm, very glad to be part of the Bible study again. Praise the Lord. Brenton. It's good to have you with us today, and I would like to thank you for your um, extra time you put into this um, Bible study, because you are going to facilitate this discussion today, and it's good to have you part of this program. Thank you, Nick. Uh, we look forward to sharing it with those who are listening. Well, uh, Brenton, I would like you to please take us through and um, introduce us to this uh, topic today. Interesting uh, study that we have today, Nick and panel, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Um, what's interesting is that this study is actually a two-part study. Next week, when we are doing the study again, the Bible study, we'll be looking at part two. So today we're looking primarily at part, uh, part one. One subject I've noted that has captured people's imagination in the Bible is the mark of the beast. And who or what is the number 666? All sorts of theories have been expounded as to who is the beast, an old one being Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. There was a period of time I think many of us on the panel would recognise where trying to work out what or who the mark of the beast was was almost like pin the tail on the donkey. And uh, there were all sorts of... Um, ideas floating around you could go on the internet and find all sorts of ideas as to who these particular people thought the mark of the beast was or what it was one that really caught my imagination was a recent theory advocated by some that the vaccination against COVID-19 constitutes the mark of the beast however in Revelation 14:10, we are told that those who receive this mark will be punished in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. <laughs> Our study today highlights the difference between how God operates in relation to the people on this planet. Uh, as we will discover, he uses the power, the drawing power of love, and how Satan operates. God uses the drawing power of love to convince and convict people of his love for them, and the desire that he has that they don't receive the mark of the beast. I think we all appreciate that this warning in Revelation 14, 9 and 10 is the most severe warning in the whole of Scripture. 
So God, God obviously wants us to take note of it and to make sure that we're not part of it. <laughs> Satan, however, by contrast, uses force, coercion, and particularly deception to compel the conscience and the actions of people to worship a false religious system. The central issues in the book of Revelation are loyalty, authority, and worship. Who or what do we worship? With such an important subject, I felt that uh, has life and death consequences. Surely it's necessary to know what God wants us to understand on this subject together, knowing that God loves us and wants us to live in heaven with him eternally. Jerry, I wondered, would you pray for us because we really need the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we study and share this subject together on air. Thanks. Yes, certainly, Brenton. Our gracious and kind Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to spend some time together in the study of your word. Yes. And especially today, this is such a huge topic uh, that uh, needs careful consideration. And uh, as always, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us in our thoughts, in our, in our study. Teach us, Lord, what we need to know. We need to be so careful that we don't uh, draw the wrong conclusions. And uh, we pray that as we are guided by your Holy Spirit, as we let the Bible interpret itself and we come to you with a teachable spirit, Lord, we pray that it may become clear to us and we just you know, pray that... Uh, you will bless us in this hour, bless all the listeners, and bless our panel members, because we ask it all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. We're going to look at it in five sections today, and the first section we're going to look at is an interesting one. It's entitled Steadfast Endurance. And Lydia, there are two characteristics that characterise those who don't receive the mark of the beast. And that's found in Revelation 14, verse 12. I wonder if you would share that one with us, Lydia, and perhaps comment on it a little bit. Uh, yes, Brendan. As we read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. So here it's mentioning the faith of Jesus, not the faith in Jesus. But what is the faith in Jesus? To reflect on the faith of Jesus, the one who demonstrated when he was living on this earth, we observed that Jesus' connection, his permanent connection with God and his dependence on God was very well seen. Yes. Also in Matthew 26, 42, we observe here his connection with God through prayers. And in Luke 23, verse 46, he depended on the relationship with God, with his father throughout his life so strong. Uh, and in Romans 15, verse 4, it says that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might might have hope. Also in Romans 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So we are all given a measure of faith. So this is how we develop the faith of Jesus. 
We need to remain connected with Jesus to look up to him every step of the way. Because love for God is the great motivating force of the kingdom of God. To remain connected, to worship him, to worship God through the steadfast endurance. So to have the patience of the saints, it's it's uh, like the steadfast endurance from the Greek word kupomon. So Jesus gave us the the example of this faith of Jesus. So it's very transparent and uh, it's an example for us. On, yeah, well, uh, on, on thank you, earth. Lydia. I think you've summed that up fairly well. Well, it will unpack it a little bit more as we go along. Len, you had some thoughts for us on this one. Yes, well, I think many of us sometimes forget that Jesus was faithful in his mission to the very end. He was faithful to death. Yes. And this is a call for Christian people around the world to be faithful to the Lord, even though it might mean death. But there's another thing that we must never forget. This is a two-part thing. It's about obeying God and about being faithful to God. I think there are plenty of people who have faith in Jesus who perhaps are not necessarily obedient to the law However, that's not quite enough. We definitely need faith in Jesus, but we need to have enduring faith. The words patience and faith are linked. So as Christians, despite the troubles that we may have to go through and others in the past have gone through, it, it remains that we must be obedient and faithful because if we give up, we... Um, we lose the prize. Mm, thank you, Len. This development of faith, uh, Lydia shared us a couple of texts from the book of Romans. Um, one that really stood out for me was 10 and 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, now, Nick, you had a thought for us as well. Thanks. Yes, uh, Brenton, I was going it to say... It may not be on that particular text. <laughs> no, absolutely. Actually, it is. Um, but um, what Lydia was mentioning in her um, comments and reading those passages or uh, alluded to those passages in the Bible, two very important characteristics uh, stood up for me. One yes. is a very strong relationship with God. Jesus uh, demonstrated that relationship with the Father. And the second one is to fully relay on the word of God. And I, Len mentioned here that there are many people who pretend to believe in Jesus. It's yes. one thing to believe in Jesus, but it's another thing to have the faith of Jesus. I mean, to look at Jesus, how he lived his life. And he was heavily relaying on the word of God when he came across the enemy of God, which is Satan. Now, today we are going to talk about this, uh, uh, in particular, this very interesting topic, the the mark of the beast or the seal of God. Now, how important is to know what the Bible says in this regard, rather just to form opinion or yes. something which comes from different uh, backgrounds and uh, different even Christian beliefs. 
Yeah. We need to focus that on the word of God. And I think those two things are very important. A strong relationship with God and the word of God to be our benchmark. Thank you, Nick. Panel, can we think of an example where Christ used the word of God? Go back to the start of Christ's ministry just after he was baptized. Where did he go immediately after he was baptized? Yes, he went into a desert place. And there he was tested by the devil. And the devil, first of all, because Jesus was very hungry after 40 days without eating, and the devil said, well, you can command the stones and they'll turn into bread and you can eat that. And Jesus quoted scripture. Yes. Then the devil tested him again and Jesus quoted scripture. Then the devil quote misquoted scripture and Jesus quoted scripture again. It's important in anything that we are guided by scripture. Yes. Absolutely. We're reminded in Isaiah 8, verse 20, I think it is, about if people speak not according to God's word, there's no light. It's because there is no light in them. So we are safe if we depend and rely and build on scripture as Jesus did. Could I expand it a bit further by saying that the problem in the end, it seems to me, Remember the mark of the beast is um, there are miracles being performed, as Revelation 13 tells us, and all the rest of it. Those who unfortunately um, follow the mark of the beast, at least some of them, uh, profess to be Christians. And uh, the issue seems to be that do we accept the word of God? Do we use the word of God to interpret the word of God? Or do we use the word of God plus tradition? plus man's ideas all, all blended in together because what that does is produce what we have studied about in previous studies. It's called Babylon. It's called confusion. So that's what we've looked at in, in the past. Nick? Yes, Brenton, that's a very important point because that's why we are doing this uh, sort of uh, discussion and broadcasts. Uh, it comes in my mind, another program which we produce, Give Me the Bible. Yes. Uh, yes. Features one of our, I mean, one of our uh, panel members here. It's uh, it's a speaker on that one. Why yes. we want to bring to the attention of uh, our listener the Bible is because it's so often from the pulpit, it's preached all sorts of things, and it can be, as you just said earlier, that the Bible can be even mis. Or misquoted or misinterpreted. And very important, and that's our uh, uh, desire, to bring the Bible alive, the Word of God, and to rely on on that. Yeah, wasn't it David who said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and Mm -hmm. a light unto my path? It's a good one. Well, we'll move on to section two, which we're discussing today. We've simply entitled it The Cosmic Struggle. It sounds particularly gripping. And, Jerry, you're going to share with us a text from Matthew 27 regarding the situation that Christ found himself in when he was on the cross. It brings to mind a very, very unusual state Jesus, the Son of God, found himself in. He's only ever found himself in this state once throughout eternity. So I wondered if you would share this with us, Jerry, and maybe unpack it a little bit for us. Yes, certainly, Brenton. 
in the, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke and Mark, uh, three times we read about the agony that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane as he approached the, 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 uh, the climax of his ministry, which was, of course, that uh, he would pay the ultimate price for our sins. And um, when you, we, we've talked a couple of times already about the faith of Jesus, not just the faith in Jesus now. Yes. When you see the struggle that Jesus went through, the realization that uh, the time had finally arrived where the sins of the whole world would be placed on. We've come to the point in, in Christ's ministry where he realizes that he's reached the climax of his ministry, the realization that he would have to pay uh, the penalty for our sins. And it was so crushing for Jesus. We can't imagine the agony that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, it's recorded three times that Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from before me. Yes. In his humanity, uh, it, it was just too horrific to contemplate even the, the fact that he would be separated from the Father. Now, we read all through the, the Gospels that Jesus had a, a perfect connection with the Father. In fact, uh, it's, it's recorded that... Um, well before sunrise, he would often uh, separate himself and be in prayer with the Father. There was never a time in Jesus' existence that he was separated from the Father. And yet here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it just it becomes so black. And um, it, it causes Jesus to cry out, Lord, if it's possible, he said, everything is possible for you. If it's possible, take this cup from before me. Mm. However, mm. nevertheless, thy will be done. And, uh, and he comes to that point three times. It's hard to, uh, hard to imagine for us the agony because it says here in, in Luke as well, um, Father, if it, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So it was a horrific experience for Jesus to go. And in fact, at one point, he even says, and I think that's what you were mentioning, Brenton, Eli, Eli, uh, Lama Sabachthami, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you read this for the first time, you think, well, Jesus is he's, he's given up, as it were. He thinks that God has forsaken him. But it's important to note that um, right at the end, in, uh, in Luke 23, verse uh, 44 to 46, in his final breath, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus didn't lose his grip, as it were, on the Father. He kept maintained his focus. He maintained his focus. And we should too, we should not look at circumstances as, as gloomy and as terrible as they may be. We should always uh, stay connected, maintain that connection, and uh, as Jesus did, he is our supreme example. And, um, you know, it's really important to uh, to keep that in front of us. Thank you, Jerry. Um, Len, you had a thought for us. Well, I suppose it was a devastating feeling for Jesus to feel separated from the Father. But in part, I think I have experienced something like that and probably many others who are listening today have experienced it. To feel separated from God 
is not a good feeling. And to me, life is worth living with the connection with God. When you feel separated from God, it's awful. It's like you have no support and uh, it seems very black and dark. So I'm very grateful to have a relationship with God in my life every single day. And listeners, if you're at a point where you feel separated from God, I suggest you get down on your knees and talk to him straight away because he's ready, waiting to hear you and to do good things for you. Thank you, Len. I think that uh, covers it well. There are some, um, I'd like to take this a little bit further, though. Uh, we've said that uh, uh, Jerry, you stated earlier on that it was his faith in his father that carried him through. Um, faith based on what? Now, I've listed three points here. Uh, we In the book of Matthew, chapter 3 and verse 17, when Christ came up out of the water after being baptised, a voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same voice, God the Father said the same thing. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Then in John chapter 12, when the Greeks came to see Jesus, we find Jesus saying, Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven came saying, I will glorify it and glorify it again. I believe it was those statements of fact that came direct from heaven from his father that sustained him at this period when he was hanging on the cross. Because this is a statement I'd just like to share with you. Satan, with his fierce temptations, wrung the heart of Jesus. The Saviour could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave of conqueror or to tell him of the, his father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation would be eternal. It was the previous examples of Christ or of God the Father, shall we say, commending him for the work that he was here on earth to do. I believe it was those things that carried him through uh, the great trial when he was hanging on the cross because, Jerry, you touched on it pretty well and also Len as well. The seven statements of Christ, one of them was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the last one was either it is finished or Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So uh, we still have that example there. Nick, you had a thought for us. Yes, uh, Brenton. Again, I'd like to remind ourselves and the listener that we are talking about uh, this uh, great conflict, you know, the great controversy in between good and evil. And we're talking about uh, the mark of the beast and the seal of God. Again, as Ligia was reading from Revelation uh, 14, 12, about the patience of the saints who are keeping the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Or other translations says, have the testimony of Jesus. What is important here is to emphasize on the fact that Jesus was following what God instructed him to do. We are also 
call to follow into the whole truth. Keep the commandments of God. I will make reference to one of the commandments which is so badly misrepresented. The Sabbath, the fourth commandment. And I would like to take a, a moment just now, Brenton, <clears throat> if I could, and the panel, to just uh, put a plug for that wonderful book which we have prepared for our listeners today. And that's called The Sabbath Gift. My dear friend listening today, if you like to learn a bit more about that, why not to request our free offer, which we have for today? You just need to send us a text message to 04-888-80831. And the code is SABBATH. S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Please don't uh, hesitate and send us a message with the code SABBATH and the book. The Sabbath gift will be yours. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I appreciate you uh, promoting that because I believe it will be a real blessing for those who come. We've looked at two sections thus far. We've looked at how offensive to God sin is. We've looked at Christ uh, paying the ultimate sacrifice. We've looked firstly at steadfast endurance. In other words, what is required, the characteristics or the ingredients that are required of those who will ultimately stand on the sea of glass in Revelation 14. But now we come to a section where we start to hone in a little more on the fact that this issue of the mark of the beast and the seal of God involves worship. Joe, you're going to share with us a section that has a lovely title, The Ungodly Chain. I believe we're going to link together some uh, scripture from Daniel and also from Revelation. So could you please share with us? Um, Yes, Brenton, we have a very good example of where non-compliance with with what is being asked of us will lead to economic deprivation, persecution and a death decree. And we have a, a very good example of this in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, we might remember from previous discussions that Babylon had captured Jerusalem and the very best of the young people were taken back to be indoctrinated and taught under their best teachers so they might effectively serve the the then superpower. Um, And this did happen, and these young men were very well educated. However, their hearts were for God and not the heathen deities that the Babylonians worshipped, such as Marduk and so forth. We might remember some of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the king thought that he would build a statue made entirely of gold. Now, this this statue was a hard copy of the image Nebuchadnezzar was shown in a dream God had given him, where each part of the image represented a succeeding world empire. You might Mm -hmm. remember the head of gold. Yes. Resembled, uh, stood for Babylon. Chest of brass, meat of Persia, belly of bronze was Greece, legs of iron, Rome, feet of clay and iron mixed together. Now, while the king watched, a rock hits the statue at the feet and the statue disintegrates and blows away with the wind while the rock that was not chiseled out by human hand grows and enlarges until it fills the whole earth. Now, the king was essentially told that his empire as great as it might have been, would not endure forever, but others would seize power and dominate the then-known world. The king, of course, acknowledged that at the time, but it bothered him something shocking. So he built this statue as per dream, only it was entirely of gold. 
Yes. And I wouldn't be even surprised if it resembled the king himself. <laughs> I think well, that's, uh, that's not too much of a stretch, <laughs> I don't think, Joe. No. <laughs> Such an ego. Well, he ordered all the officials of the land to come and bow before it, showing their fealty and commitment to the king and Babylon that it would reign forever. And yes. just in case they didn't, there was a furnace built to encourage loyalty. An incentive program. <laughs> Anyone who did not bow before the image when the music finished playing would be thrown into this fiery furnace. Well, the faithful young men would not. And it seems, I might read a few portions here in Daniel 3, that they remained standing. The music stopped and there they were, upright. And so um, they are summoned to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Is it true um, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And, of course, it, he warns them and he says, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God, what God will be able yes. to rescue you from my hand? What That's a, a challenge. a direct challenge, isn't it? It's a direct it's a challenge. It's a direct challenge. Yep. Right? Soon to now, find out. Interest- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interestingly, they reply. They don't say, "Oh, look, give us a second chance." No, they say, "If we are, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. But even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up." Mm, now, mm. I believe that this will be the stance of those at the end who would rather die the un- than be unfaithful to God and render worship to Satan and his Faith forces. Jesus, perhaps, so, Joe? Absolutely. Mm. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was furious and his attitude changed toward them and he ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter. And, of course, the young men were thrown in. And um, the story is in Daniel you know, <laughs> 3, 2, 3, I encourage our listeners to have a good read of it. The young men were thrown in, but there is a great ending to the story, and and the God and God takes an opportunity to demonstrate His power over a despotic king. We have a similar scenario in Revelation thirteen, where there is also yes. a power, yeah. a power that it that um, raises itself against God, and it's in verses fifteen to seventeen. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Notice killed. killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now we have this very similar scenario. Worship was forced under the threat of death. Account recorded in Daniel, I believe, is a vignette or in miniature. In miniature, what will happen at a global scale at the end, that last great showdown between God and Satan? Who is worthy of worship? Who will be worshipped? And if if economic sanctions and persecution don't work, well, a death decree might just be the thing. Now, Jesus knew that, you know, this was ahead um, of those who would be faithful to God. So he warned his disciples on a number of occasions. And one example comes from Matthew 24, 9 to 13. So none of this need shock us. 
Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from their faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end, I think you use the word enduring, Yes. one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You said earlier the final link in this ungodly chain. Now, Satan has always craved and coveted worship that only belonged to God, and this is a very subtle and sometimes a not very subtle that just permeates all of Scripture and our lives as well. Um, so coercion, fear, intimidation is the way of Satan. The final scene where we are all forced to worship the beast is the final chain in this ungodly chain or the final piece in this ungodly chain. Are there any other comments on this? That um, Jerry, what, what's your thinking on it? They didn't give up their faith even if it no. cost them their, their life. God was God had, God had not abandoned them. That, this is the point I'm trying to make. Yes. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, one of the things that occurred to me, the difference between God's methods and Satan's, Satan's is certainly one of compulsion. I think we've touched on that, and I think, Joe, you covered it well, and Jerry mentioned it as well. Uh, God's method is the power, the drawing power of love, and um, it, it, God gives us the freedom to choose who we will serve. He gives us the freedom to worship him as the creator or not to do so. <laughs> I've often wondered, um, with the false religious system that brings about the mark of the beast, which is an issue of worship based on um, a combination of allegedly using um the things of the Bible, but also the precepts of man, I've often wondered why is it necessary, if if you are worshipping in a false religious system, why is it necessary to compel people to believe the same way you do? That tells me that there's an intrinsic weakness in um, compulsion. If you have to compel people to do things, if you have to compel people to worship, um, as it says here, the beast in his image, if you have to do that, there's an intrinsic weakness, not only in the argument, but also in the truthfulness of what is being put out, because truth doesn't need defence. Truth needs people that are willing to stand up for it, even if the heavens fall. Len, you're going to share with us a section which actually blends in or follows on, segues, if you wish, <laughs> fairly well, with this called Those Who Follow the Lamb. And uh, the texts that are mentioned here are Revelation 13, verse 1 to 3, but I'm uh, asking you to uh, share that with us and maybe open our, our thinking on uh, the difference between those who Joe touched on, who are forced to worship the beast because of economic deprivation, death and all the rest of it, and those who follow the lamb. Thanks, Len. Well, as somebody who came from an agricultural background, I have uh, had quite a bit to do with sheep. Do you know what? <laughs> sheep normally don't follow the lamb. The Good lambs <laughs> follow their mothers, and their mothers follow the leading sheep in the, in the mob. It could be a ram. It might be a wise old ewe or something. 
but it's quite unusual for the sheep to follow a lamb. Now, what we've been talking about so far is painting a picture of what uh, leadership there is in the world. And it's been pointed out that God leads, he invites, he attracts. But the devil's way is coercion and forcing and things like that. And deception. (laughs) Deception, I forgot that one. That's very important. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, and let's have a look at some of the things that the, the devil has been doing. It says, And I, that's John, the revelator, the one who wrote the book of Revelation under inspiration, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, It had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion, Mm -hmm. which is uh, in line with what Joe was telling us about, the world empires. Anyhow, we go on. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished, and here's the punchline, and followed the beast. Now, the question is, anybody who's never read the Bible before and is unfamiliar with Revelation would think, well, this is all in code. Well, it kind of is. Who is the, we'll start with the dragon, Yes. Well, the dragon is identified in Revelation chapter 12, verses 8 and 9 and 7. I should start at 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The the great dragon was hurled down. And here are some names given to him, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And then over in a few verses later on identifies the dragon as the devil. D for dragon, D for devil. You shouldn't forget that. Now, who is this beast? A beast represents a power, just as a horn does represent a power. Well, we're not given a clear identification as with the dragon. However, if we go back to Daniel chapter 9, it's talking about the same power, and it gives some identifying marks of this particular power. And without going into all that right now, most of the Protestant reformers and many Bible scholars these days have identified that as the papacy. Mm. Now, people don't understand the word papacy. It refers to the Roman church. What's the situation with that? How come this is a power and are people 
following the church and its dictates. You were talking a little earlier, Brenton, about people being forced to believe. Well, this church, this this power has forced people to worship because if they didn't do what the church said, they were at risk of losing their lives. Now, some of you may have heard of the Inquisition. There were different Inquisitions yes, instituted yes, by the Roman Church. They were uh, sort of, they had lots of power. They were able to investigate what people believed. And if people did not accept the dictates of the Roman Church, chances are they would lose their lives. Are there any examples of this? Well, I have in my possession two editions of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Mm. an early edition and a later edition, which has had the language improved a little bit, make it a bit more easy to understand. And uh, it talks about so many people who were true to the Lord, who lost their lives because they did not accept the dictates of the Roman Church. One that caught my attention particularly was St. Bartholomew's Day in Paris. Yes. Happened on August 23, began on August 23 in 1572. And in a, an independent book I've read about this, it was talking about the River Seine that flows through Paris being totally red. Oh. Okay. Do... I do you want to follow this power? Well, no, I don't. I want to follow someone who cares for me, is interested in my welfare, not just promoting its own agenda. agenda. Yes. So, listeners, what we're talking about today is who you will follow. Will you follow the Lord? Because if you do, there is a crown of righteousness, eternal life awaiting you. If you choose to follow another self-made power or a power based on or given its authority from Satan, I'm sorry, there's no future in that. No. We've talked about how Satan compels, coerces, intimidates and, well, Jesus and deceives. Was all, deceives, absolutely. You don't ever forget deceives. <laughs> <laughs> well, if deception doesn't work, he will try yes, all the rest. Yes. Jesus was all about, as a contrast, all about freedom. And we might remember that um, he promised, he's, he's talking to his disciples as if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free will set you free. And another occasion. I like that. Yeah. And he also says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So there's no compulsion there. There's no coercion, no intimidation, no threats. This is like, if you really want to be free, come follow me. Beautifully put, Joe. And um, that's an invitation, isn't it, really? Following on from what um, Joe has said and Len has said, Our last section that we're going to touch on today is entitled Jesus, Our Mediator. Now, one of the issues, um, one of the identifying characteristics, Len, 
that um, you um, have touched on in previous studies, um, I know, is the fact that this false religious system has an alternate, alternative mediator. It has a priest who receives your confession of sins. But we believe that we do have a priest. Hebrews talks about him. It says we have a great high priest who is in the heavens, Jesus Christ the righteous. Nick, you're going to share with us this section in closing our study today entitled Jesus, Our Mediator. Thanks. Yes, Brenton. And just before we are going to that, I would love again to mention our offer, which we have for today. Uh, my dear friend listening today, uh, please send us a text message with the code Sabbath, because we have the book prepared, the Sabbath gift for you. You can send that text message with the code Sabbath to 04 just to continue, Brenton, what Len was already mentioning from chapter 13 in Revelation, and by the way, if you like to look at this chapter in more details, it's, it's very important because this describes the two beasts. If I continue, <coughs> verse 4 says this, because it was already mentioned this aspect. It says that, um, and they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast. Yes. Saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against him? Now you see here the most important thing. It's the issue of worship. God is inviting us to worship him. To worship the true God. He all the way in history, he advised his people not to worship anything else, not to worship other gods, not to worship whatever, but to worship him, the living God, the creator and sustainer of all things. But it's a demand here to worship the beast. And that's why we mention, and even this wonderful book, uh, The Sabbath Gift, it's offered today because uh, authorities, people in boldness, you know, they, they demand worship not only to God, but to something else, even in changing the Sabbath, as we discussed in previous uh, programs. What I would love to do here, uh, Brenton, to take our attention again a little bit to Jesus. Yes. And if we turn our Bibles in um, the Gospel of Luke, for example, there is a story there related about a um, sick man, a paralyzed man and his friends uh, brought him to Jesus and you may know the story my dear friend listening today but if not yeah. it's worth it to check it out and as Jesus was uh, attempting to heal this person he mentioned a sentence there he said your sins are forgiven whoa yes. if you are a Jew all your antennas will go up because they knew that only God can forgive sin. Now, there was a big issue there in, in that regard. Again, let's compare that because there are today people who even demand that they to go to them. I mean, priests, for example, to go to confession. Confession. And another story, it's interesting here because we are talking to identify what blasphemy means. Yes. Because in this case, the Jews 
they were very, uh, their antennas were up because they were thinking Jesus is blaspheming God who can forgive sins, but God, God. because they missed the point here that Jesus is God. (laughs) He's the Messiah. That's true. That's true. But if we look further into uh, another part of the um, Gospels, and if we read in John chapter 10, verses, in particular, I would like to look for verse uh, 33. But just before that, the background is that the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were asking Jesus, who are you? Please tell us, I mean, who are you? Are you the Messiah? They were trying to say, are you God? You know, because they were going to uh, plan some uh, very bad plans for Jesus to kill him. Mm. And uh, let's look at this uh, verse in uh, John 10, verse Verse 33, yes. Which says this, the Jews answered him, is it not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy? Because you being a man, make yourself God. My dear friend, this is the whole issue in regard to receiving the mark of the beast or the seal of God. There are institutions, there are churches claiming that they represent God on this earth. They are God on this earth. It's a blasphemy that any man will pretend that can forgive sin or uh, all those aspects. It's a blasphemy. The only God can do that. And we are invited actually today to give allegiance to God to give ourselves to God because we live in a very special time, uh, Brenton and uh, panel, when the deception is so big. You mentioned a few times. Uh, yeah, we have. Satan <laughs> is in the business of deceiving people. And you may remember that the passage in the Bible says that he will try to deceive, if it's possible, even the elect. We yes, are in, in these uh, times when deception is so big and the devil is so ferocious to attack us from all angles. Our safety, it's in God and in his word. We know, we need to know his word now. We need to know what God is teaching us. We cannot afford to just go by the ear, just to hear here and there and uh, thinking that we can be saved because we have faith in Jesus. We are invited to have the faith of Jesus. To learn yes. from Jesus how he conducted himself, how he resisted the temptation of the devil, how he um, put himself in the picture. Mm. I believe, my dear friend, it's a great opportunity to reflect to what we've been said uh, here today. And we're going to continue next week a little bit more. But again, mm. I would like to mention that offer which we have for today, the Sabbath gift. Please don't hesitate to send the text message to thank you, Nick. 804-888-80831. And the code is Sabbath. S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Thank you, Nick. You've covered that well. In summary, there is a text in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 that says there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ the righteous. I think if ourselves as panel and listeners, if we 
cling to that. We do have a mediator. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tells us that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He understands how we, what we're going through. He understands the temptations and the trials that we have. That's why he alone can be our mediator. He alone can forgive our sins. In summary, I would say this. From the beginning of the great controversy in heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. In seeking to cast contempt upon the divine statutes, Satan has perverted the doctrines of the Bible, and errors have thus become incorporated into the faith of thousands who profess to believe the scriptures. We've touched on deception markedly, as we've all, all said during this study. The last great conflict between truth and error is but the final struggle of the long-standing controversy concerning the law of God. Upon this battle, we are now entering a battle between the laws of men and the precepts of Jehovah, between the religion of the Bible and the Bible and tradition. In summary, the mark of the beast is associated with false worship, handed down by the church based on man's authority, whereas the seal of God is associated with the call to the worship of God as the creator. And this sign is found in Sabbath. I would encourage uh, all those who are listening to keep God's commandments, including the Sabbath. If you've never done that, please take advantage of the book that Nick is offering on air and read it for yourself and then ask yourself the question, is this what God is calling me to do? I believe it is. And um, that's my prayer for you now. Thank you, Lydia. I wonder if you would close with a word of prayer for us. Sure. Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much that you remind us again that in this conflict era, as we are living now between truth and error, the big controversy between good and evil, your people are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Father, please help us through the power of your Holy Spirit, to learn to have a complete and permanent dependence on you every step of the way, in good times and bad times, even in little things or unimportant things of every day of our lives. Father, please help us to develop a steadfast endurance or enduring faith by obeying God, being faithful to you and remaining loyal to you as Jesus did and showed us his example when he was on this earth. Father, we want to remain your faithful people, to follow the Lamb committed to you till the end in order to receive the seal of God the crown of righteousness, worshipping you as our God, the creator and redeemer, for your holy name to be glorified now and forever, through Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Lydia. Thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. It was very important to bring uh, to our attention these passages in the Bible because, yeah, indeed, we're talking about uh, the mark of the beast uh, and, uh, you know, the seal of God. But 
next week, the second part, we are going to focus a bit more on the seal of God and to realize what is the mark of the beast. My dear friend, please join us again next time. And uh, until then, may God richly bless you, help you to walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus. Have the faith of Jesus.